0: scuba obsessed the weekly podcast we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba news scuba obsessed episode 418 is recorded live august 29th 2019 Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where we're getting ready to celebrate Labor Day in the United States of America, which is a good excuse to uh, do all sorts of things, including eating a bunch of junk food, barbecuing, and uh, doing some scuba dives. So joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac?
1: I'm doing very well, and I don't need a holiday to overindulge in barbecue and things like that. (laughs) (laughs) But I will take it and make it legal, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's evident I don't either, but uh, it's a good story.
1: And this week has been fabulous. So if nobody's out there getting wet, shame on you.
0: I've had my air conditioning off for about a week and a half, and that has just been great.
1: This has been really nice. It's almost like a... What do you call it, uh, Indian summer already? But do you realize that yeah. in a couple of days, it's going to be the next podcast will be in, in September?
0: Yes, yeah, September. So
1: what, what the blazes happened to summer?
0: <laughs> it's gone. It, I just think that the calendar screwed up in the first place. I think summer needs to start May 1st and then go to September 30th, and then that would be summer. That that's okay. The but sometimes
1: we, we've had snow, then, so I don't know about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we just the weather needs to cooperate with me along with the calendar. But uh, the way we do it now is that uh, if summer doesn't start till the middle of June, and it just seems that you know you, you get you start in the middle of June, then two weeks later you get the Fourth of July. And Mentally, the Fourth of July is the middle of summer, and then you know we've got the for us here we had the fair, youth fair just to. A week or so ago and then you got labor day and it's done
1: well you know i really expect the next week to be the hottest weeks of the summer because all the kids will be back in school and it never fails the best days is that first week you're back in school
0: yeah but it's different nowadays because the schools all have air conditioning we didn't have air conditioning we had in school so they rubbed it in you always had all those new clothes and the worst thing about new school clothes is you had to take them off when you got home. They were usually not properly broken in. And then mom was always anxious that they had to be kept in good condition. So it was how long could you, or how short could you go to where you could just get home and just keep wearing them? You didn't have to take off the shoes and the jeans and the shirt and put on the old stuff. Cause for a young boy changing clothes is like, is like torture. We like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We got everybody showing up in there. We had Derek and Eric and Scuba Bull of all rolled in there right away. Uh, I did get uh, remember we did, and I'm embarrassed to say this. We had an interview that we did way last December, December 2018, and uh, it was. I was my intent was to get it out the very next week as a normal episode, and then we had a string of episodes where I just had all sorts of audio quality. So I finally got that episode edited. So uh, apologies to Rick Mixter. Uh, I was going to
1: say, that's the one you got to be talking about. And that's, that's been a while.
0: That that has been a long time, way too long, but I had to edit it. and I have to say not bragging, but it turned out much better than I thought. Uh, And, and, and people are, it's worth listening to. It's a compact episode. We didn't do news in that one, but we did do some stuff. Uh, we had the interview, which is an excellent interview. I listened to it three or four times today, uh, so it's an excellent interview. Uh, you know, I'm jealous because Rick has a better broadcast voice than I do, and then all the stuff he's dove. So it's you definitely if you haven't well you haven't heard it because I just put it out there. So yeah, uh, take take a listen. Uh, we've got links in it. Uh, you know, support whatever he's got going on and uh I sent him an email I haven't heard back but uh apologized <laughs> we got it out there so it's it's out there it's in the feed it's called a bonus episode it was like episode 380 I think is is what it was supposed to be originally but uh yeah so we had two episodes this week and I may edit this one and get it out early so we'll have uh three in a row so that way if the people who are driving on the weekend the long 3-day weekend they can uh gorge on Scoop episodes because you're either diving or listening to the podcast or so we'd like to believe so let's go ahead and jump right on into the news the first article which our patreon supporters unfortunately didn't get because i found it right after but this one's out of uh, los angeles and i covered it just as an environmental piece but a sewage spill is likely to keep much of the uh, huntington harbor closed to swimmers through labor day officials say a sewage spill called an ocean water closure at Huntington Harbor probably the long Labor Day weekend an Orange County Health Care Agency said Thursday. The water is closed to swimming, surfing, diving is affected in areas of Anaheim Bay, Sunset Aquatic Marina, Portofino Cove, Anderson Street Marina, Amiltree Drive, dive officials I said dive officials health officials said. The site will be sampled early next week according to health care agency spokesman. The spill, which totaled 60,000 gallons of wastewater, originated in a sewer line backed up in Stanton, officials say. Sewage flowed out of a manhole and into a nearby storm drain. The block sewage line was first reported at 2 a.m. on Thursday in the 10800 block of Dale Avenue through the blockage, possibly caused by grease, was estimated to start about 10 p.m. Wednesday. The flow of the spill increased in the morning, wore on, and people started to wake up in the morning taking showers and flushing toilets. Martinez said the volume increased very rapidly until they were able to clear the blockage around 7 a.m. Thursday. So, the timeline, if, if we follow this correctly, is 2 a.m. Thursday. Uh, it was reported. They think it happened on 10 p.m. Wednesday, and they cleared it at 7 a.m. So that would, if my math is correct, that's nine hours. In nine hours, they had just this blockage was enough to put 60,000 gallons. Huh. Maybe I'm just way underestimating. I mean, is that like the very last bit? And it flowed out of a manhole cover into a nearby storm drain wouldn't you notice 60,000 gallons of sewage? You might notice a coloration and a stench. But 60,000 gallons. So let's, let's divide that up. That's, you know, across, what was that again? Uh, Nine hours. So it's that about, uh, oh, about 7,000, 8,000 gallons an hour. You know, 8,000, yeah, I mean, it just, unless, I don't know, I'm, I'm not, not familiar enough with the geology there, but it seems like, I mean, kudos for responding quickly, because that seems like a quick response, but the that amount of sewage making it out there uh, was a little bit surprising. And then before the episode, uh, I mentioned we were doing this, and you said that the, the beaches here in Michigan yep. uh, are are. Under a closed order. Now, there was they had some problems that came out of uh, Michigan City, but this is something else, isn't it?
1: Yes. And I, I've been trying to track down what they're doing and where it came from. But the logical place is, of course, the river, since that is what flows. The uh, wind was carrying it left, which would be right on the beach. So I have not seen anything else, but one would think the sewage overflow downriver okay. went out into the big lake.
0: Yeah, so that means that one of our waste treatment plants, of which there's got to be at least 20 on the St. Joe River, one of them uh, did a little bit of extra discharging, I would say. And I would
1: suggest that would be the closer one.
0: (laughs) The closer one? The one right
1: there? Yeah, the one right there at the uh, two docks and uh, by the DNR stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we're not going to throw them under the bus because we don't know. But that does uh, seem a little suspicious.
1: Yeah, I was just looking at it, cause it was uh, it says the beach was closed Tuesday due to high waves and rip currents. Uh, the waves also delayed retesting of the water, according to a meteor partner, the Herald Palladium. They're hoping to have the beach open by Labor Day. And it's the first closure of Silver Beach due to E. coli since 2014. Uh, it surprises me that mm. they pretty much kept it quiet about what they're doing and why. You know, where yeah, it really he- came from.
0: E. coli is one that they're pretty quick to announce, and it's usually pretty obvious because uh, they have, well, we've covered it before. Uh They've only got a limited amount of time uh to report it uh-huh. or, uh, according to state law. So either somebody didn't report it or wasn't aware of it, which is even worse. Uh, do you think that there's any possible that this could be related to the flooding that we're seeing in uh, Benton Harbor?
1: I wouldn't be a bit surprised. And uh, what they do is, I think there's 14 beaches in our vicinity. They check every Monday, and that's why they picked it up when they did.
0: Yeah, for for those who aren't familiar with the area, in fact, even some of them who are, uh, Lake Michigan is high, uh, unusually high. In fact, this has probably got to be what a 40-year high, 50-year high.
1: Uh, I don't think it's that much there. If you really look at the trends, and it also depends on how much the wind is blowing, right. in what direction, because when it pushes back into the river, it it basically floods all the piers, the docks, but it did that in South Haven due to a, what they call a momentary It lasted about mm-hmm. an hour. So if you count that, it's, it's quite often. And that area down there by the Whirlpool uh, Complex that now floods the road... Yes. Because the river is so high that the drain pipe, it's, when you got that coming in from the lake, it surges and comes right out of the drains all downtown Benton Harbor.
0: Yes. Yeah, so so for those who aren't familiar with the areas that uh, you've got St. Joe and you've got uh, Benton Harbor, and they're, and they're, for the most part, on opposite sides of the river. St. Joe actually covers both sides in some sections. But uh, if you just visualize Benton Harbor is on the north side, St. Joe's on the south side. And this beautiful, relatively brand new building in the last five years is the Whirlpool. I'm not complex. sure what's. Yeah. It's a complex. It's they a call mini it the campus.
1: They call it the campus.
0: The campus. So you know, like how Apple did their campus. This is Whirlpool, the and KitchenAid's version of a campus, and it's nowhere near as nice and fancy as Apple's, but it's it's nice, especially for the area, Southwest Michigan. You probably have to go up to Grand Rapids to get something of similar size, and. uh So you've got drawbridges or really high bridges that cross the river. In this case, uh, there's a drawbridge. And as soon as you get off the drawbridge, right to your, on your right is the whirlpool complex. And as roads do, they have uh, drains. Well, the water in the river, especially when you get the seizures going on, is higher than the road surface and the drains. So you get to uh, drive through flooded water and it's probably been two or three months since that section's been dry uh, at least every time i've driven through it's not all the way across the road all the time but it's usually one lane is uh soggy so, and and when you think of it is i'm betting and i'm i i'd wager money on this is that bent harbor is not a modern storm sewer set uh waste treatment system i'm bet it's all one combined Line, so your storm sewers and your sewers are all one. So when you force that river water into the drain, the uh, storm sewers or storm system, storm storm drains, I guess is the technical term. Uh, it's all mixing and mingling in with everything else. So I'm uh, betting that that could play a factor in. Well, this next one is we have divers get an eerie first look inside the Arctic shipwreck, the HMS Terror. Uh, This is Smithsonian Magazine, but just about any magazine or online article in the last two or three days is is talking about that. And look at this photo. Uh, My Viking uh, dry suit doesn't have a Parks Canada patch on the sleeve.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm I'm not sure that's a Viking, but uh, yeah. Nice and bright, though, isn't it?
0: Yeah it's a little bit of a promotion for it. You know they, we talk about trying to get that return on investment. It looks like they're somehow thinking there's some benefit to advertising who's doing it, unless it's just a convenient patch, but it doesn't, doesn't look like it.
1: hmm Did you take a look at the video? The photos: With the video itself. There's a video of the yeah. Guided Tour of the Terror.
0: Yes, and I did go through that. A lot of the photos you're going to see on the websites are stills captured from the videos.
1: Did you see how flat the the ocean is? I mean, it's like a freaking yeah. mirror. It is awesome. Yeah, it was,
0: yeah. But I was amazed. So this was in the 1840s when this vessel went down, and we we make fun of people saying pristine. Well, it's not pristine, but it's in. Very nice condition.
1: These if you racks. took a hydro lase and got all the little garbage off, it would be. It's awesome looking. I mean, the ship's wheel is, I mean, encroached with a lot of vegetation, but very, very nice. And then below decks you, where you have less vegetation, oh, yeah. it's really nice.
0: Yeah, that that's what I was specifically referring to was that. Uh, did you see that one room where it had all the jars?
1: Uh, I'm looking at it as we speak.
0: <laughs> yeah, so they had That's, this room and it had jars, and then each of the jars is like in like a little cubby, so they're like all separate. Do you see how much?
1: Do you see how much silt the bottles are in?
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah that yeah. this so is this, very it, very nice.
0: Yeah. So you're going to want to uh, take a look at that. Uh, click on the show notes, or just do a search on uh, the Franklin. Or the terror, and they're they're out there. So uh, we're going to see more of this because I think they're still up there doing some searching. But the video is certainly worth a watch, and I spent some time going through it and drooling. And uh, they did a nice job cutting it together because some of it you can hear the divers in there, and others it's just the ROV. Yeah,
1: yeah. You don't want to mess around there. They're fine for. For goofing around is five hundred thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, they they got a little bit of a. I mean, when you're entering uh, the,
1: uh, I like the part where they entering government. the site without a permit is an offense. Canadian National Parks Act, punishable by a fine of five hundred thousand dollars.
0: Yeah. Well, this one, it, it's going to be hard to get up there because I think if there's not ice on it, uh, they're there because. Uh, it's nearly year-round ice that covers the wreck site. Divers only have a window of opportunity of a few weeks each year to study the ship. This year's expedition set sail on August 7th from Cambridge Avenue, Nineveh. Uh Thanks to exceptionally cured conditions, the divers clad in neoprene dry suits. It's, they didn't look neoprene to me. Uh, full face mask and lobster claw shaped gloves. They were able to get footage at 90% of the tear using remotely operated vehicles over seven days.
1: I'm just, they, that, I'm just curious why they. I'm just curious why they talked, neoprene suits, face mask. And now I'm using an ROV, which doesn't require any of that.
0: No, I think some of the stuff they were doing outside, and uh, I think the ROV they went in first, and then decided if they needed to send people in. I mean that that's kind of how I would have done it. Uh, you go in as much as you can with the ROV plus you're going to use all your toys i mean you bring all the toys up there you, you know you don't want the rov team sitting around doing nothing so um uh, yeah the, looking at the video they were they're doing uh full face masks with comms uh it looked like a dry suit i mean i was thinking a viking style but uh no it's possible it's a laminate or something uh yeah, Harris told reporters that thanks to remarkable water clarity and abundance of light penetration from the surface, the divers were able to see clearly the seafloor for the first time. Consequently, the team was able to make an important observation: Terrace propeller was down as if in operating condition. While the ship was lodging in the pack ice for more than a year in Victoria Strait, the crew likely would have had taken the propeller up and boarded it over the ship's glass skylights, Harris said. But the divers found this was not the case. Looks like the ship was in operating trim and then somehow, maybe unexpectedly, it sank. Harris said, with all the shipboard articles lining the shelves on both sides of the ship, it gives the appearance that the wreckage was not particularly violent uh, wrecking. It settled almost vertically on the seafloor. Divers did not enter the ship themselves, With video footage they obtained will help archaeologists plan how to recover artifacts from the interior as soon as next year. In a video tour of the ship released by Parks Canada, you can see the intact blue and white china and shelves in the room where sailors would have eaten meals together around the 245 mark in the video above, uh, followed by a down tour of the corridor they leading to the officer's individual rooms. As we venture tentatively through each cabin, one after the next, you get an arresting notion that you're physically inside a private shipboard space of all these individuals that you are close to their personal lives, Harris said. Perhaps the most tantalizing sight in the interior of the ship is Crozier's sediment-covered desk at the 438 mark of the video. The ice-cold water and darkness inside the desk drawers could provide ideal conditions to preserve normally delicate paper, Harris says. He thinks there's a reason to the desk could contain documents that shed light on when and why terror and Erebus parted company. These damn ads keep moving everything around part uh, company and how they got their final locations. A number of us have always speculated what lies inside is going to be more than just dishes or instruments or preserved cabins. Delgado says these guys kept journals. They had artists who made sketches. They also had a camera. They're taking Duragotypes. Some of this stuff is likely going to be in the ship's interior. There's an opportunity to write the next chapter and what happened to the expedition. Crozier's sleeping cabin was the only closed room that the team encountered on its reconnaissance mission. That's fairly tantalizing. Harris said, Cozier's personal effect and that. Perhaps additional private documents like journals could be hidden behind the closed door. You never know what we might encounter. And there was another article that I thought it might've been this. <coughs> and, uh, I didn't realize it, but they had, uh, they had some information that was left in a uh, kind of a stone structure. Had, had you heard about that? No. Mm-mm. uh, let me see. I thought it was in this article. Cause I found about five or six articles on it.
1: Yeah. Uh, as a, as a side note, once in a while, you get clipped, get garbled. I don't know what it is. It's not all the time.
0: It's just this crappy internet. Uh, <laughs> aggravating.
1: It's it's a shit.
0: I mean, that's, that's what it is. Thank you, Verizon, for sucking. AT&T, <laughs> you're in there too. Everybody, you could freaking have run fiber optics to the, everybody's damn houses about 20 years ago. Bastards. So I'm not bitter at them at all. Just suck her money away. How about a little competition? <laughs> or, or how about not giving them money? Now, here's my soapbox. Yeah, I've I've been people who follow me personally on Twitter have seen me venting. I've screamed at AT AT&T a few times, and they well. I I noticed you did put
1: something on Facebook the other day.
0: Oh yeah, voice in your display. Here's what it is. Well, yeah. Well, what they did is they all got money to go and do rural areas, and they all gained the systems, kind of like gerrymandering with politics. They were doing the same thing where, you know, if somebody on your road could possibly get internet in that particular block, then that was high speed internet covered. Well, if you understand how high speed internet works, the farther away you get and that farther away is not that far. You know, the difference between, you know, high speed at 20 megabits a second versus nothing at less than a megabit megabit per second, uh, can be less than a thousand feet. So, you know, if you're not in densely packed areas, they're just saying, screw it. And they get credit for it. They, they, The whole area is covered. They're never going to run down to me unless there's money in it. So they've all gone through. We're all bitching to our congressmen going, what are these crooks doing? So now what's happened is uh, the uh, FCC is doing a survey, and they're going, oh, well, maybe these numbers are wrong. Well, now they've just uh, earmarked over uh, several billion dollars to go and help these rural areas. So you know what? They're going to get paid to not run me internet again. Those bastards. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not better. And here's what it is. You know, I I've had people online where I complained about this, go, well, you just need to move. I built this house. When I built this house, you could get all the public services at world-class quality, you know, phone lines, everything. Uh, I had T one line, you know, which was a business line. That was the best, line you could get other than if you were university, you're going to do T3. I could probably have even gotten a, a T3. Now you can't get anything. They're just not maintaining their lines. You know, they, they, they see all the money. They think they're going to be able to con people out of uh wireless and that's what they're going to go. So there's my soapbox that yeah. like to strangle them because it, it, it's it, we, what we need to do. And, and they, at the same time, while they're doing this, they're passing laws, preventing communities from doing it themselves a co-op is the way to go get your neighbors together and do a co-op you know if you paid the fiber it wouldn't you know fiber's not that expensive relatively now i mean the price keeps going down and down and down you could run co-op uh, fiber down pay for the cable that goes in front of your house pay for the connections it could be done i mean we've we've done much harder things but yeah it's
1: still better than the days of AOL dial up you know the thing is, though, is if you had AOL
0: dial-up, that was pretty much cutting edge at that time. <laughs> I'm not even getting anything that's approaching that. I'm I'm amazed. I'm still on. <laughs> that's it's it's how bad it is, well, and I'm doing all sorts of things.
1: Everybody likes a little retro stuff, right?
0: Yeah, uh, I need everybody to go and put their websites in uh, 1990s mode. So, yeah, but that's just that's that's a tough thing. So. uh most likely I have to cut all this out because it all, like, garbled because <laughs> Internet. Speaking. All
1: of that came through really clear.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that was uh, the problem with the, the episode that I just edited. Kind of bring it all back together, the Rick Mixed Directs episode. You sounded fine. Rick sounded great. Uh, I sounded like I was talking behind a fan blade. And it wasn't all the time, but it was about every third paragraph, I would say, was unusable. So... It is it is going to be an abbreviated episode. In fact, I think it's the shortest joke we've ever done. So we should almost do a contest. Can you guess the punchline? <laughs> and and when you when you listen to it, you'll understand. So, uh, but I bet the Franklin expedition didn't have to worry about internet.
1: So now you're looking at the second item,
0: uh, the Imagine AIDA. Oh, the Franklin video? No, that was that kind of went with that one. 'Cause the Franklin video should be the same video, I think. Uh or was it a little bit just
1: got on and started giving me all sorts of noise on commercials. Yeah, of course. I was just curious it. if it was the same
0: yeah, it was uh it was C N B C or something, one of the Canadian broadcasting companies. So uh They I think they may have had a few clips added on to it, but that's another uh, okay. good one. Yeah. So the art the first article has it and then that video has it as well. Okay. You're not going to see anything new, but uh, certainly looks nice. I would dive it.
1: Now, Actually, their video is the same, but different.
0: It's right. Exactly. Well, everybody's got to, everybody's clamoring for the first eyeballs. So yeah. who can convert their normal viewers into uh, new viewers who are going to have the ads that show up? And then this next one is AIDA introduces the first aid course designed for free divers. International Association Development of Apnea is pleased to announce the launch of uh FEMR free diving emergency medical responder course, a new first aid course that includes special emphasis on free diving related medicine. While traditional first aid CPR courses contain useful information about daily medicine incidents, such as basic first aid CPR AED use, Do not include sufficient material on specific free diving-related injuries that can occur whilst training. AIDA education offers Brian Crossland, oh, officer, Brian Crossland, realized the importance of this and decided to make a change. After attending a dive medical course run by Chantel Newman, Brian approached her and asked her to collaborate on a first aid course specifically for free divers. As a mouse just runs across, my screen here i i i can't get internet but i can get mice maybe i just <laughs> attach packets to them damn cats um uh, this is gonna be the grumpy old man show uh, brian approached her and asked her to collaborate in a first aid course specifically for free diver chantel founder and publisher of the dive medic member of woman divers hall of fame 2016 a member of the explorers club uh channeled her EMS background and 30 years, 34 years of scuba experience to create the femur course, along with Brian Crossland and Dr. Oleg Malikkov Chantel put together a first aid course for free divers. Divers Alert Network also contributed to course materials in addition of information gathered from multiple scientific papers written by professionals in dive medicine. Uh, the course differs from traditional first aid courses by including the path, patho. Psychology of the illness and injuries, physio- no, pathophysiology of illness and injuries, with an emphasis on free diving related injuries such as barotrauma, squeezes, lung injuries, hypoxia, narcosis, decompression illness, mention pulmonary edema, and ear injuries and treatment. Participants also learned how to examine the ear with the use of otoscope, how to use two airway adjuncts, OPA. I'm not going to say what that is, NPAs, uh, and learn how to activate a diver's insurance plan and ensure successful emergency treatment of the diver. Participants will take the theory in person or online and then go to the practical element, learn skills such as taking full vital signs, including blood pressure, pulse oximetry, while also treating related trauma injuries and medical illness. The first course of courses will be held in Shanghai, China, and Seoul, Korea. Does uh Patty or some of the other organizations have anything like that? I know that this isn't that this is free diving.
1: I'm not uh, sure, but I did notice on the club site uh we had some interested people asking the same question, meaning, is there a training facility in this area or a group that uh teaches right. some of this?
0: Yeah, because they were asking specifically about free diving. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm I wouldn't mind learning a little bit about it. I'm not gonna be the guy who breath holds and goes down for five minutes and swims around but i would like to because you think about scuba divers and free divers in many cases will be in similar areas and a lot of times we're going to be i hate saying better equipped we're going to be more equipped as scuba divers and we may be in a role where we're doing a rescue situation with a free diver accident so it would be good to know some of these uh conditions plus i'm there's.
1: It's always interesting to me, though, because as a diver, the first item you're always taught is about shallow water blackout, mm-hmm. and that's sur- swimming on the surface, even, and that's definitely not five minutes holding your breath. No. So I'm at a quandary of how, why shallow water blackout surface swimming is what we hear about, and is that does that apply to free divers?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I would think so, but I mean, and something like this could be helpful. So maybe this is like a, a specialty within advanced diving. I don't or it doesn't even need to be that. Maybe it could be something else. I, I hate saying it needs to be another card because the last thing we need is another, you know, $150, $200 course. But as a diver who's a, who could be around free divers, it'd be nice to know how we can provide aid.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And while we're talking about Patty, uh, Patty is just, uh this is a press release they put out. Uh, they're saying you can win the ultimate drive, dive trip getaway to Caribbean, Maldives, or Thailand. They're having a master scuba diver challenge. Become a Patty master scuba diver and be the best of the best in recreational scuba diving. A master scuba diver rating places you among the league group, in which fewer than 2% of divers ever join your master scuba diver card is proof that you've invested significant time in your dive training accumulating scuba experience and skills that allow you to maximize your potential and ability for underwater exploration adventure take the challenge earn your master scuba diving rating from uh august 1st the 1st of august the 31st of december 2019 and you could win one of three dream dive holidays in the following resorts and they them See one's in Thailand and they get a whole bunch of stuff. Another one is in a Jamaica and Turks and Caicos. Another one is a South Area toll. So you visit the Patty website, they got it smatter, uh, smattered uh uh plastered all over this website, so you're gonna be able to take a look at it. So master is is isn't that the non professional?
1: Yes, that's about as high as you can go before you start getting to so, assistant so that, instructor, instructor.
0: Yeah, because you've it's not dive master, this is master scuba diver. So this right. is like after you've done uh advanced open water and rec and uh, not recreational. I'm thinking of uh rescue diver. Don't you have to be a rescue diver for master diver? Oh now they're gonna make me look it up. <laughs> Gosh, so it's been a
1: while. I mean, I have a master diver also.
0: Yeah, so the first thing they say is that uh, uh, you must be rescue. Yeah, you must take the rescue diver course, which prepares you to deal with emergencies. So that's step one. And I think to do rescue diver, you have to have already done advanced, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. And then you need to complete five specialty courses. So you do your rescue diver, and they choose from a variety of specialties in there, and they even Call out like enriched air diver, wreck diver, deep diver, which many of you will do in advanced. Uh, But I'm guessing that they want you to have more and then log 50 dives. So most of our hardcore divers, uh, I'm going to guess, other than taking the classes and getting that. uh, Hmm. Yeah.
1: Quick side note. Yeah. Julie Anderson from Underwater Connections would be the local contact in our area, free diving. Okay. It was on the club site. Slugging that up real quick.
0: Good. Yeah, because the club sites had a lot of activity. And what we're, we're referring to is the mud club on Facebook, uh, Michigan Underwater Divers, which is uh, you have to apply. It's a very it's very tough questions. Uh, that you yeah. Complete, complete <laughs> to get in. Uh, but mostly that's just to, to weed out the spammers. So, uh, you know, w- one trick, if you want a tip to make sure that we let you in, make sure that your profile image when you apply has you doing something scuba or water related, and that helps a lot. You know, if if you don't have any photo and you joined Facebook in the last, uh, like, four days, then you know, you're not getting in.
1: And if you belong to 110 different groups, probably not either. Yeah. And the reason, of course, is we get spam stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, uh, there, there is a, I'm trying to remember what the setting is, but there's a setting on there where you have to be approved. You have to have posts that are approved so many times, and then it starts letting you just post automatically. But at first, it kind of limits you to where we have to approve your posts. So it just prevents people from trying to sell us uh, timeshares and all sorts of fun things. And then American Cinematographer, which I have to say is uh, actually one of my customers at work. uh, The American Society of Cinematographers, the American Cinematographer is their magazine that they put out, has a couple articles online that you can get to. You don't have to be a member. Uh, And it's called Inside Oceanic Part One, Underwater Filming and Lighting. So this is from a serious cinematographer angle, but there's plenty to learn because what you're going to do with a GoPro is just a smaller version of what they're doing. So there's a lot you can learn uh, from these, these people. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, they're showing ROVs and Gates housings for dragon cameras and everything I said was probably just a half million dollars right there. But I love reading these articles and, seeing what they do. some beautiful shots in the article as well. And then there's an article here, and we won't read the whole thing, but it's uh again got some great photos. are talking about uh, Thunder Bay. Uh, six thousand vessels been lost in the Great Lakes, which I think the number' is actually higher than that. Cold, fresh water helps preserve Michigan's maritime history, and then they show some of the some really nice photos of uh, Thunder Bay.
1: Yeah, depending on what document who you want to talk to. Uh 6,000 is a low end An average is 10 to 12 is what you will hear and there are some authors have actually said over 20,000.
0: Yeah, it depend I think it all depends on size, condition. I mean, it's I'm I'm in the more than 12 and but we're adding to it. I mean, it's it we're ma- we're making more shipwrecks. So, uh that would be a number that that might be interesting to look up is how many in just Lake Michigan, how many shipwrecks are added each year?
1: And and you mean as found or as lost?
0: As lost. I mean, I I think we're still losing them. Not we're not losing like chore sized vessels, but uh you know, you're you're going to have some intentionally, some unintentionally sinker Or float away.
1: So how big would it have to be for you to be considered a shipwreck in the Great Lakes versus inland lake? Yeah, um,
0: I hate to say this because it almost sounds like a a snobby thing, but wouldn't you say 20 feet or larger would be a shipwreck in the Great Lakes?
1: Well, what's the smallest schooner we've come across? Or even Uh, a flat-bottom barge with a sail on? that's how this all started
0: i mean what probably 60 80 feet isn't that the normal yeah, the, one of the one size? of the
1: biggest barges they built was in niles back when you could navigate it was something like 20 by 60 feet they pulled it down when he got down there he says hell with this i'm not making that go back he put a mast on it and he was using it as a lighter meaning he'd take his basic barge out to a ship. Load on it, coming back into the harbor, because the harbor had a lot of sandbars and shoals. So that barge, when it had a sail, that was a boat. You know what I'm yeah. saying? A cargo vessel.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd I'd say that counts.
1: But you take a look at um, a couple of those deep wrecks we've been diving. Some of those mm-hmm. are like tugboats. How big are those tugboats?
0: Tugboats can be—they're a, a little deceptive. I think many times they're bigger than what you think of. Uh, let's let's say the one out of Holland.
1: Yeah, well, that's got to be.
0: Yeah, that's got to be over thirty, isn't it? Or thirty-ish.
1: Yeah, I would say so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, nowadays with uh, tighter power, some of the towboat USA vessels, those can be. I mean, I I think some of them might be even under twenty, but not by much.
1: Uh, well, I'm just wondering if the old kayaks and canoes, because they had war canoes and cargo canoes that were over 40 feet. I, I think I
0: would, the, the, I I would have to say if I find it interesting, then it counts. If not,
1: no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, So works for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, if it's, if it's, uh, you know, over a hundred years old and was hand dug out, then certainly if it's, uh, you, know, you you went and bought it at Dick's and it's made out of plastic and it only lived for about a year. You know those uh yeah no. But I mean if you if you count kayaks then you're certainly going to have thousands a year because you know what happens to those. Somebody gets one they tie it you know the their teenage kids use it they tie it off to a docking correctly and it wind blows and it drifts out into the the current of channel and you know, all all rivers lead to the to the ocean, as they say, or at least yeah, around here into Lake Michigan.
1: Did you take a look at all the pictures in this? Because if you went down and took a look at the two-masted schooner Defiance that sank in 1854, yeah, that is what people would call a shipwreck.
0: Yes, I and I would certainly agree, and that's uh, what I would call an unusual shipwreck. I mean, there's not many of those
1: in the world right now that we're aware of. Not like that. So this is something that if the you know, you you have the uh in the in the show notes, the site mm-hmm. for this one, right? Yeah. This is worth the click on to take a look at some of the boats. Yeah. I mean what the bow is? spirit on the one is is fantastic. Uh
0: you got the rudder of on that one in the bottom.
1: Yeah. Thunder Bay is a great place if you've been there.
0: Yeah. And the season's winding down, so
1: William Young, that was a good shot, too. Well, Tobamori, you know, how many people have been there or not been there?
0: I have not been there. I, I need to. And it's on my list. Uh, in fact, somebody was talking about where they were going to go diving, and that that was on their list. And I said, yeah, that's that's worth a spot. And they were kind of saying how expensive it was. So.
1: Well, Karen went up there, and she had a blast. Her ta- You know, her tales of what she dove and stuff, and her, her relatively newness and diving at that time you know it's a phenomenal place to go and you know and get your your training and your understanding and you know it'll keep you active
0: yes there's there's quite a bit to see uh many of the wrecks are on the shallow side so it's a good you know if you're going on a i'll say guided charter but you know a, a a good charter boat uh, they'll get you on the wrecks and, and tell you. And then there's, I guess there's some you can do without a charter boat, but I'm by no means an expert. I know uh, Rich Sinowick of Divers Incorporated usually does uh, a trip up there, if not every year, every other year. So I think that's one of his camping trips, if I'm remembering it, and not confusing it with others. So certainly now, now my kids are out of the house, as soon as I get some of these projects done. Maybe I can put that in the calendar. And then this one, uh, Private Sub Dives Flathead Lake for Local Researchers. Uh, And this is from the uh, Montana Public Radio. Uh, Somebody donated access to a couple of really nice uh, submarines. So not just ROVs, these are submarines. And uh, the video is worth watching too. Not a super interesting bottom, but I, I think if you haven't been down there and had a chance to do a lot of research for these researchers, it's pretty exciting. How deep were they at? They didn't say. I mean, some some examples they said it's much more rewarding to use your sub that way than just to putter around and just come home with a family video or something. So it's a win-win. Uh, the Flat Lake Divers are the second scientific expedition inner space sub owner have taken last year two pilots from the University of California, Davis graduate students, beneath the surface of Lake Tahoe. Smith hopes the results research will spread the word about interspace science and bring more expedition requests in Europe and in the U.S. He says he's not entirely sure what researchers may come out of flathead dives. The collective algae and sediment samples will sit on biostation shelves until they can process this winter. Those results could lead to formal research proposals down the line. Uh, researchers also asked for a video of the invasive my, mysis shrimp. That footage is set to be analyzed in the near future and could inform ongoing research into the crustacean population profound ecosystem effects. Uh, in Prank's video, you can see thousands of the shrimp, tiny white specks swimming on the surface. It's something researchers have seen in the lab but would never have seen in a wild for a few private sub owners contributing their hobby with science.
1: Yeah, I think the deepest part of that lake is like 380 feet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there's some spots. Uh, so the sub can dive much deeper down with 1,000 feet only. He's only run safety tests to around 300. So that would put it within that sub's range. So it's these are private subs that are designed for certain. But they must have to pay to get them certified. Is that what's going on?
1: Well, for insurance yeah, I mean if you don't want to get insurance you don't have them certified. It's you know Uh
0: I see. So you've got a thousand foot sub but you don't want to pay the insurance on a thousand foot sub. You just say, uh, ah, certified to three hundred and that's what we're calling it. Um they're saying the Flathead Lake is uh three hundred and eighty feet at its deepest point.
1: I was curious what other kind of invasive species did they have there? I know they had mm-hmm. a separate item for it, but they uh didn't Elaborate on other items.
0: No, they didn't.
1: Obviously, I was curious if they had quagga or zebra mussels.
0: Well, uh, if you look down in the articles below where they've got related content.
1: I just saw that one talked about invasive
0: mussels. Yep, it says free of invasive mussels. And this was August 12th, so.
1: Well, you remember why Lake Superior had less? Is because it had less calcium. Oh, that's right. And if you don't have that. They don't have it to formulate their shells. So I was just curious. A lot of these inland lakes have a different pH value, Mm -hmm. and that can inhibit the...
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I don't think I've ever heard of a bull trout either. No.
0: And then, um, this is the first time I'd heard of this wreck, a future of a 2,700-year-old Phoenician shipwreck and Porto del uh, de, it, Zerion hangs in the balance. Marine archaeology experts are continuing a series of dives this week, and you'll have to read the article to find those, those names. Uh, the 2,700-year-old Phoenician shipwreck, which has remained beneath the surface of the Mediterranean since its discovery in 1998, and which is thought to be deteriorating despite being encased in a protective metal shell, Ever since the Mazarian 2 was found a decade after the discovery of the Mazarian 1, the remains of which are now in the Aquaria Underwater Archaeological Museum in Cartagena, uh, decisions on how to excavate it or indeed whether to do so at all have been delayed. The Mazarian 1 was in a poor state of repair and remains were dispersed across a, se- a seabed. The Mazarian 2 is fully intact. And was found complete with a cargo of lead ingots weighing two thousand eight hundred twenty kilos, a major volume of cargo for a vessel that was only eight meters long, and two and a half meters wide. I would say so. Yeah, that that was like it's it's total. Uh, maybe that's why it's, it went down. <laughs> yeah, it was. Almost, that that sounds almost more like a barge, like they were towing it, and it swamped. Is believed that the boat was either carrying the cargo along the coastline or is meeting a larger vessel in deeper waters to transfer the cargo in its sink. Well, that makes sense. You know, somebody trying to, you know, shortchange what they needed to do, and uh, you know, things went south. The cargo was removed and excavations carried out to the map and survey the area before the boat was sealed to protect the steel casing on the seabed where it still lies at a depth of only three meters, which is about you
1: know, uh We're talking years. about shipwrecks. This is. What, twenty-four feet long, and basically uh, seven feet wide. Yeah, I yeah, mean, so I've exactly. seen canoes bigger than that.
0: Exactly, and, and that was they said, carrying
1: yeah. six thousand pounds. <laughs> yes, that was. That was but loaded. he was riding low in the water.
0: Yeah, I'm guessing it must have been a fairly deep hulled boat then, to be able to carry that much.
1: I was you looking know, at the the pictures. It looks yeah. like a flat flat bottom.
0: It does in that photo. If that's the same photo of the vessel, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. Probably if I did the math, it's probably. Yeah, you know, I'm just mentally thinking. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, let's see. They say now believe that action may be needed to save the remains. As of Monday, second phase emergency inspection was being carried out to assess the condition, and part, This has been made necessary by the storms of last winter, which damaged the casing. And it may now be deemed crucial uh crucial direct be removed and rehoused perhaps in a desalination plant.
1: Taking but you look part, at that you look at that picture. If they brought mm-hmm. that totally intact, how many people would really be interested in that? Um
0: each year about twelve.
1: I mean seriously to to keep your attention, it that, that's not was... really appealing.
0: This is not a major display unless you do something very fancy with it. This is the the lobby where you're waiting to see the Titanic exhibit or something. This is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, needs to have a video game attached to it. Uh, you know, some social scores, uh, maybe uh, you know, shoot some Angry Birds or something.
1: Well, you notice there's absolutely no vegetation and stuff on it at that shallowness.
0: What nine feet? It's got to be in a in a river or bay or something. Yeah, I'm and I'm
1: about. looking at the, around the siding. I got rocks and stuff like this, boulders. Yeah. And there's no vegetation per se.
0: No. Well, and I'm looking at their bubbles, and they're going straight up. So either they're hitting a slack tide. Uh, yeah. I, and the visibility is good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. Is this like maybe a shoreline?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Now in the background. That is mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah,
0: I'm. I'm just not. Yeah. For us, if it was in a river here, that would have been silted up, you know, a long time ago. Yep. Uh, and the and you have the the seasonal currents change. It would have either buried it or peeled it out, sent it out into Lake Michigan. So, well, how about this for some new technology? Uh, New battery-free underwater Internet of Things sensor explores ocean over long periods. This is from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Uh, they're trying to address a problem and then a, a system that can sense and communicate without requiring batteries. The underwater sensor communication system barely uses any power and can transport sensor data for an extremely long periods of time. So what they're what they're doing. Uh, and they've done this in small scales when i when i first saw it and i i did watch the video on it i was thinking wow this is pretty amazing what what they're doing is they're using your there you have a broadcaster and a listener that's up near the surface or your you know vessel and then it's sending the uh a sound signal down that sound signal is generating enough energy from it and just background noises to power the device. And the device itself doesn't actually have a lot of electronics or sound signal to it. What it does is it either reflects or doesn't reflect the signal that was sent to it. So by sending signals down in a predictable pattern, it will, it will either reflect or not reflect, which is your ones and zeros of binary data. So you're not going to get it real quick, but you're going to be able to communicate. So this is a way they're saying they could put a sensor on the bottom and maybe it could go for dozens of years without any power. And as you go over, it will tell you, you know, it, it will allow you to read what the data is that it's stored. So it's using a, a piezoacoustic backscatter system. So far, they've tested it in a pool. The system was able to transmit three kilobits per second, which isn't bad. Um, it's distance is 10 meters between sensor and receiver. So the next step is they're going to work on making a much longer distance, but uh, yeah. Glad to see somebody's doing some research and these next two links, just to warn you, is these are, these are kind of spammy links, but just the topics I thought was a little interesting. One, they were talking about an underwater scooter, uh, and, um, with the Genio Sea Scooter Trident Underwater Scooter? I don't know if we've covered this one before, uh, but a little pricey, but I thought it was cool. And the websites you're clicking on, not us, so they're making uh, referral money from Amazon if you're if you're doing anything with that. And another one was uh, an action camera for $37, the Davola action camera, and this is also available on Amazon. So I would like, you know, if, if people are getting some of these cheap action cameras, let us know how you like them. Because this one's got fairly good ratings, four and a half stars. It's a 1080p Wi-Fi sports camera, 12 megapixels, and is rated at uh, just under 100 feet or 30 meters. 98 feet waterproof.
1: These are called disposable cameras.
0: Well, right, but that's what I'm thinking about. Say you're, you're going to go and do a trip. Yeah, And you're going to do snorkeling or diving. How many people, I mean, I don't have video of my first dives and get a couple of them. You know, if you and your wife are doing it, you get one, she gets one, you know, you put one on your, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, and I'll say now, if you're a new diver, you don't want to be messing around with a camera, but just clip something off and it's there. I've seen people put these on retractors. And when you see something interesting, you pull it off, you have it re- before you go down, you turn it on. It's on all the time. And then you pull it off the retractor, point it at your whatever it is. And when you're done, you, you let it retract. Or you some people will have something where they mount it on their head or they'll put it on their chest or something. But, you know, heck, you could have a bunch of them. So it's if you've got one, that's
1: good. Yeah. It's amazing Except how they all look like GoPros.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, the first mover and they're trying to get in. But some of them are, let's see, what's this one? Currently unavailable.
1: Remember some of the ones we had looked at earlier. The Biggest drawback was the batteries did not last about half as long as a GoPro. I think that was the biggest oh, yeah. detractor to it. Well,
0: yeah, if you're going to do it for less, you got to get something else. I mean, they're they're all being made in China. They're probably being made in you know in factories within a half mile of each other. Uh, you know, there's a uh, there's different models. I mean, Amazon, as I'm there since those weren't available, told me some others. Here's one. It's a this is a Cam Park. A- Act seventy four action cam sixteen megapixel four K Wi Fi underwater hundred seventy degrees wide angle for forty bucks. I'll take two. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what it is. I, I've, I've been tempted just to play around with these just to see how they work. Yeah, maybe I will have to do that.
1: As a side note, since you were bringing up China, did you get an mm-hmm. email I sent you? I hope I sent you today or yesterday.
0: From not a remember. Chinese
1: firm who is using the name Muddy Diver" and a few variations that our club uses, like mud club
0: oh no i have you didn't get that no I'll have to take a look
1: I'll uh, send uh, that back to you if you didn't get it
0: yeah i I don't remember it if you did uh yeah that's not uncommon to because what what happens is they're trying to skim off the traffic that we generate. So if they create a little bit of confusion and stuff, it works to their benefit. Because th- what they're doing is there's monitoring uh, traffic queries. And it might not even be Google queries. It might be whatever the Chinese search engine is or whatever other ones are. Yeah, but these action cameras are getting really inexpensive. Like you said, disposable.
1: Well, my daughter went on a, on a trip, uh, boat trip down to Caribbean. And they just bought a cheap camera because if it got yeah. dumped, they got the chip. Oh yeah. They yeah, were yeah. very pleased.
0: Yeah, and we've covered it. How many times that, you know, the memory cards hold up really well. So if you dunk the water from floods, you've got everything up to the point to when the camera died. Yeah. So, you know, let, let the, the, the memory card dry out a little bit before you stick it in your computer and cause some more problems. But, you're, you're going to be able to probably recover almost everything that was on it.
1: key item for any of those cameras, if anybody has not used them, when you got your GoPro down and you want to scan, excuse me, scan something on the bottom, go slow. And then when you think you're going slow, go twice as slow as what you think. Yeah. And then you will get some focus. Right. Yeah.
0: You've got to get autofocus. Uh, plus, you know, rookie mistake I can remember doing in the early days of just on the surface video is you treat the camcorder almost like you would if you're taking a photo with your phone. And when you're editing photo together, you want a few seconds before what it is you're trying to cover and a few seconds after. Otherwise it becomes a, uh, you know, uh, the Blair witch project and everybody's having seizures because you're, <laughs> you're doing rapid cuts between scenes. So yeah, you you don't want that, you know, the, the, little patience and and uh again uh plugging the episode we just finished with rick Mixter. he talks about uh his videos he he tries to get down before the other divers so he can get shots of them coming in because uh you know don't you know just to make the some of those videos a little bit more interesting well that does it for scuba in the news so we we ran through that one pretty quickly Let's see, did anybody get any diving in? It seems like the, I mean, you got some in last Thursday. If you had a chance to get in? Well, now. we're
1: going out tomorrow. We're so going to do a, a drift dive from uh, below the dam mm-hmm. uh, under the two bridges down to our normal uh, ecology dive site and mm-hmm. see what kind of debris we have and if it's going to be worth reopening it, meaning having the ecology dive, but making boundaries from... Above the two bridges, all the way down and in the right hand side of the shoreline. Yep. That's what we're going to look at.
0: Yep. Because if was...
1: we went where we did last year between the sewage pipe mm-hmm. and the end of the docking. The pickings are pretty skinny. Uh-huh. Uh, the bottom has been really raked. Um, the fine particulate is gone. It's basically gravel and rock. And if you dig in that, especially in the shallows, you can find bottles, but you're going to have to work.
0: Yeah, it's uh, the the current that we've had this year has just scrubbed everything away. And then I understand there's some people talking about going on to the uh, the Thomas Hume.
1: Yes, that's for Sunday. Uh so Sunday. You know how the weather is out there. And they were also yeah. talking about uh, anchoring or buoying the uh, Rockaway.
0: Yes, because the Rockaway, we're at the final steps of that, just uh, getting a little bit more material, and that one will be done. Yep. I saw that. Uh, looked like somebody had gotten out to the Havana also during the
1: week. Uh, yeah. A matter of fact, that was uh, Kevin again, and yeah. it was basically, he says, going down the line, you couldn't see it, the line, when you got on the bottom, and he didn't take his camera because he knew it's going to be crappy. Uh-huh. It had 30-foot visibility on it. Really? And he says part of it may have been because it was getting to be dark, and oh. you didn't have scatter, particulate, ah. yeah. And it's yeah, like, and then he of course kicks, kicks himself for not having a camera. But thirty feet, we need some of those days to video it. So when we yeah. come back on the surface, we can correlate what's new, what's old, and then what's we have like a visual then, reference.
0: And then also it it'd be useful for showing people kind of the relation of where things are yes uh, that that's a particular wreck that it, it kind of flays out a little bit and it's nice to kind of a visualization so you know where you are in respect to the wreck if you're if you're on it yeah uh, but that yeah it's nice so you got a chance to to use the buoy you know you just tie off and take an advantage of a nice legal preserved buoy
1: so well, you can't see you can't find it now it's yeah. got a flashing light on the top
0: yeah. So, uh, uh, if you want to support that, I know the preserve is looking for some funds so you can go to the, uh, dive. Uh, was that? Oh, goodness. I host the website. Uh, it's not the most memorable name. Unfortunately, dive Southwest dive S W M U com is the preserve website. Uh, also, if you visit the Facebook page, they're they're doing donations there. And then I'm planning on creating a page, I was hoping to have it done by now. But I'm a little behind on it. Of having uh, there'll be an Amazon Smile. So if you regularly buy from Amazon and you haven't selected a charity or you'd like to change your charity, you could select the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve as your Smile charity, and a portion of all your purchases through Amazon uh, will go to the preserve. And I do know that some have done that and some money is rolling in Uh, so it'd be nice to get some of that in so you know we've got two buoys that we are planning on finishing this year and then we're hoping to do at least two next year and uh, as we start buoying more and more wrecks it's going to get more and more expensive because we're hitting the easy shallow ones first and they're going to start getting deeper and deeper a little bit more chain a little bit more effort and time a little bit heavier weights Let's see. Do we have um, you got you got a, a, a safety story?
1: Well, I got one or two items. I'll let you pick. One okay. is um, DCS after a deep wreck night dive, and or a secret to perfect neutral buoyancy. How, how about we do the the neutral buoyancy? Oh, come on. Okay, you want you want you, I picked the wrong one. The one did to give me a choice. Actually, no, we we can do either one. You want to do the no, uh, the buoyancy?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm thinking with the holiday week to uh, crash into the bottom or uh, float all the way to the surface. I mean, I've got my opinion on what's helped me, but it'd be interesting to hear.
1: Most of it's common sense and stuff you got taught, but it says, uh, "What's the secret to perfect neutral buoyancy and that feeling of being weightless underwater?" Well, it begins with dialing in your weighting, meaning how much weight do you put in your belt or your BC pouches. Uh, If you're carrying just the right amount, you will barely need to adjust the amount of air in your BC. There are many tricks and tips you can try, but pinpoint uh, buoyancy control is a fundamental skill. And once you got it, you know what we mean by underwater nirvana, because, you know, it's, it's just, it's nice. Uh, and a good example of this for me was when we had the um, pool party, basically, for the newbies. And I'm watching the instructors hover around their students. They were absolutely perfect, meaning they could turn left and right, stand at the exact same angle, and height off the bottom. They were really, I mean, they had it dialed in. And like to say, many factors come into play when you make the proper wing. And it, it does differ for each diver, even for those making the same dive. Some of the factors are, of course, body weight, wetsuit thickness, how old your wetsuit is, and how you breathe underwater. And even if you're wearing booties or not, it changes your weight balance. But when you are overweighted, you notice it right away because as soon as you begin your descent. If you're overweighted, you usually sink like a stone and then went to depth, you have to hit your inflator to pump air into your BC. That's one sign you're hauling around too much lead. Or maybe you struggle to get down, but once at depth, you notice you feel heavy and need to put some air in your BC. So on your next drive, dive dive trip, try the five simple tips I talk about. They may help you dive like a pro. Number one is just do it. Start by taking off a pound or two on your next dive. By doing this and following the next four tips you may be able to get by with starting off with just a little less weight. Number one is keep a dive log. Record the amount of weight you use for each dive you make, note the thickness of the neoprene suit you're wearing and the conditions you're diving in. This will not only help you fine-tune your weighing for future dives, but it'll serve as an at-a-glance record for the next time you dive the same site in the same conditions. Use the deflator. As you begin your descent for the dive, Pull the inflator hose over your head. Stretch it up a bit. Make sure its attachment point to the BC is at the highest point, And exhaust the BC. Still not simply sinking? Make sure you've exhaled all the air in your lungs and try to squeeze the BC against your chest with your free arm to rid the BC of any bubbles that may be affecting your buoyancy. That doesn't do the trick. Use the descent line. Once you get to 15 to 20 feet, the water pressure should help you descend. Most of us pretty much have that figured out. Take your time and relax. At the beginning of the dive, take a few deep breaths at the surface to put you in the right mindset for diving. This will calm any nerves. Descend as quietly. Key word is think about quiet as possible. Try feet first. Point your fins downward so they don't impede your descent. Don't flail your arms or kick your legs. Once you've the agreed upon. Upon place to meet your buddy, the mooring pin, or some other location, pause and make sure you're comfortable, relaxed, and ready to explore. Use your breath. A lung filled with air can add as much as 10 pounds of buoyancy. So if you're on the surface, everything else is not working, exhale and see if you actually go down. So it says exhale completely as you begin your descent. Once at depth, try to breathe evenly and regularly. Before, range it for the inflator-deflator hose to control your buoyancy. Relax. Use your inhalations and exhalations for the work. Did we just lose somebody, or did that just go bing, bing? We still have Craig?
0: Craig's still hanging in there. Okay.
1: Uh, within the, uh, with each inhalation, you should start to rise. So exhale, you should start to sink. If you do have to use the inflator to get neutral buoyant, try to use it sparingly. One short burst, give it time to adjust. If you find yourself adding and subtracting air from your BZ constantly, feel like an underwater yo-yo, and you'll stop enjoying your dive. So gear tips. As you pack and check your equipment, double check to make sure nothing has changed that could affect your initial weighing. Do you have a new wetsuit? Brand new wetsuits need more weight than old ones. If you're wearing a 5 mil wetsuit and the water temperatures are warm enough, why not try using a lighter wetsuit? If you wear open-heel fins, <clears throat> excuse me, switch to a lighter thickness of the booty. If the water is really warm, try using neoprene, neoprene socks instead. So experiment with weight placement. If you're placing, uh, putting 12 pounds in, the, in your pockets or your belt, try moving it from the belt to the pockets and adding one or two to your trim pockets or even the back of your BC or back of the tank new to the BC or do you have a new BC? Put it on the scale and weigh it. See the difference between what they claim it and what it actually is. And again, sometime air gets trapped in a BC which will continue to expand as you ascend. Feel behind your head at the top of your BC. It feels like one of those pillows people carry on a plane. Your BC has trapped air. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, I can add several pounds of buoyancy. So to squeeze the air trapped out, lean back as though you're relaxing in a recliner, hold the oral inflator towards the surface. Most BCs will then vent that last bit of air. said on dup- deeper dives, you should only have to start swimming up a little before expanding air takes over. But if some of the air still is in your BC, you could lose control of your ascent. Be prepared to vent if it happens.
0: Very good. Very, all very good tips. Um, the the log when, when, you know it's like everything you were saying I was I was thinking of just about the time you were reading it but that that log can come in handy uh, and if you're not diving all the time then I would recommend you also put in your weight uh, when you're logging that you know how much you weigh and uh, what your weight was because that that affects uh, you know if you put if you if you do the uh, four or five pounds in the in the winter you add on Uh, you may find that you need a little bit extra weight to get you to sink when it comes time for spring.
1: I think the problem with a lot of what we do, since we're doing a lot of river and shallow water, fast, we Mm -hmm. quite often take extra weight down with us to keep us heavy so we can stay on the bottom easier, even with our river sticks. And a lot of times when we go back on the boat, we forget we got the extra weight for the river.
0: Because one thing I, I can't remember if they if you said this but uh, you said conditions but in that conditions it should be that fresh water a salt water was a current what type of diving you were doing because that would affect like you said the weight sometimes we'll, we'll overload but uh, the, the one of the dangers with overloading especially if you're in a strong current is you want that weight to help you stick to the bottom. But if you're trying to lift yourself back up, say you've you've added fifteen twenty pounds of goodies, uh, you now are inflating your BC, and you're a much larger cross section in that river for the current to play. That's with. a
1: good. That's a very good point too. As like yeah. when you're out there in the river and you got your inner tube with your basket, oh
0: god, and you fill yeah.
1: up your basket as it gets <laughs> down, you got a lot more drag in that basket. And then yeah, if you that's... have those extra goodie bags and you clip them to the bottom of your <laughs> basket. You don't want to do that because you just had to drag like a freaking sea anchor.
0: That's what I was going to say. If you were in the ocean, we call it a sea anchor. Yep.
1: <laughs> so,
0: yeah, it it all it all uh, plays in the comes in effect. But that, those are those are all good tips. Uh, yeah, they, it's the idea for me is the the least amount of weight possible. You look at those guys diving uh, in the '60s and '70s with the horse collar with nothing in it, and that's probably not too far off of what we should be doing.
1: Well, I think that's one of the disadvantages to an auto inflate. People get lazy, oh yeah, and they compensate by adding air, and it's up and down, up and down.
0: Yeah. But once oh,
1: you're at a certain depth and you stay there, and you've got air in your BC to keep you off the bottom because you're heavy, it's not a big deal. But when you start to come up, if you're coming up a line, not a problem again because you've got good positive control, and you can dump that air you're doing a free ascent you just started out with a lot of problems yeah
0: and this buoyancy is something that you want to manage and uh some i know some people their 10th dive they've got buoyancy locked in uh i was one of them it took a little bit longer than well, i i i probably had it before dive 50 but I mean, you're you're always learning uh but you kind of know when you've got it when you're able to just like think you want to go up and down and you do so it just starts to become automatic. Yeah. And if you and if you're thinking about going the rebreather route, you want to get that buoyancy all locked in because rebreathers just adds a whole nother layer to that. You you think you've got buoyancy locked in and then you do a rebreather and it changes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the chat room scuba bull is talking about uh tweaking and finding new things, adding to tracking Oh, I think he's talking about something else. It just kind of went in with our conversation.
1: Well, one uh, of the other items you're not thinking of about adding buoyancy is like when I take my camera, I got a floaty yes. handle. And yes. then I got the air volume of the camera itself. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I compensate. Yeah.
0: Well, then you've got hard volume and flexible volume. Because if you've yeah. got, because like if you, if you look at those, uh, the ROVs that go down the Marineris Trench, I mean, they're using glass spheres and and stuff because it's not going to compress, so that buoyancy is going to be fairly consistent. A lot of times, that's what your you know, your your camera housings are going to be. But if you've got like a lift bag, you know that that changes as you go up and down, like your BC. Well, let's see. Let's uh, you know, we certainly appreciate your support. So this is the time where we plug the Patreon. So if you haven't done so yet, we certainly could appreciate the support. We're starting to get into our fall season, which means we're getting closer to those uh, big annual bills coming up and hitting us that we have to do. So a uh, few more supporters and make sure that we can make it through the dark winter months that are are heading this way. Uh, if you can't do that, we could use support some other ways, do some promotes, tell a friend about the show. Uh, five-star reviews on wherever you listen to the podcast would, would certainly help. Also, one thing I haven't called out is we do have the uh, Scuba Obsessed YouTube page. So if you could go and like that page. We haven't done a whole lot yet. I've done some audio only as a test. I'm going to continue doing those, and we're going to do some video. But uh, some things that we'd like to try we can't do yet because we need to have a certain number of listeners. So everybody who listens to this episode in two weeks, if you all subscribed and followed us on YouTube, would allow us to do some things that we currently can't do because we don't have enough subscribers, kind of the chicken and the egg thing. So I'm going to start promoting that a little bit more. So that would help us. Uh, let's see. What else do we have to plug? Uh, we talked about the preserve. Oh, Taurus Lysenko. Uh When's that coming up, Max?
1: Well, actually, if those uh, around here, I'm going to go see them again on the 8th of September. Mm-hmm. It's a Sunday at 2.30. They're in Berrien Springs.
0: Oh, in if Bering Springs?
1: Yes, he's going to give a presentation, and then we're going to have him up here uh, doing a book signing and presentation on the 28th of September at the airport.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm going to uh, remind me in the Bering Springs one. That's a, I mean, it's where I'm at. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would yeah, go You've and You've never been
1: to one of his before?
0: No. I, I mean, oh, we've interviewed him on the show here, but we haven't been to one of his.
1: Yep, two thirty. That'll be on Sunday, the eighth, Grandparents' Day.
0: Yeah, Sunday, September eighth. Yes. Wow, that, that's just right around the corner. We're almost into September.
1: Uh yep. And then again, we still have the eco dive on the first. If we find we have enough garbage that uh, and trash, that'll make it worthwhile, and people can find stuff.
0: Yeah, that that'd be great. So. Uh, We'll do some a little bit more promoting for Taurus promotion promoting gosh promotion for Taurus when he uh, gets to gets to I I can't speak tonight.
1: Well, I made a poster and I'll be posting that. as Soon as I get approval from his publicist and see what they're going to send me. Also, and and I'm I'm a little perturbed though I will say about some of our people out there in the audience.
0: As far as the, damn or... pictures,
1: these damn pictures are posting here, just makes me sick. We don't have anything <laughs> like this here, and yeah. that should not be allowed. They're just doing that to taunt us.
0: You, you know what I'm going to do? I think I'm going to paint some of these. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make fake seahorses, and I'm going to plant them so you can find them, so that you can you can find what they're seeing.
1: Don't you like that that oh. the green one? Let's see a horse thing. That is awesome.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Derek.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Making us feel bad. Yeah. I'm going to take a picture of a zebra mussel next week. (laughs) I see somebody got him a nice Kirby Morgan in 48-1 mod.
0: Oh, yeah. It was, uh, that was nice. Did you see that, uh, that photo, uh, God, who? What, what's his name he's in the club commercial diver recently crap
1: i know Skyler.
0: Skyler, Desert. that is like got to be i mean it's it's up there in a really good profile photo he's yeah. got his <laughs> uh commercial dive rig he's out in the river with a city skyline in the background and like, which, which city was that
1: i don't know i i uh, was noticing that too. i said is that chicago i don't know I tell you what, though that was—I really enjoyed doing that when I was younger, Mm -hmm. and this is the time to do it. Uh, I mean, for him when he's younger. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, uh, uh, certainly. Yeah, before before you have to get a real job and earn a living, kids and stuff. So, but it's it's a young man's activity, commercial that is. Yeah, I wouldn't mind learning how to do it, but you're not going to get me to go down and. Do zero vis dives in cold water. Oh wait, that's what we do, (laughs) (laughs) and get paid for it. Hey, wait a minute.
1: Yeah, it's different though when you got to do it every day. On the weekends, you're not wanting to go playing around scuba diving. No, no, it's like that's the easiest way to lose
0: a diver. Is that that's my dad used to have something he said if you you want to ruin a hobby, he said make it your
1: career. Yeah.
0: Well, I think we're getting to that time of the show, aren't we? I think so. So I think I think here we go. All right. Once upon a time, two nerds went for their open water course. Their instructor, a fellow named Jack, took them out in their checkout dives. When the skills were over and the two fellows came out, they realized that Jack, the instructor, was missing. They went down again and looked for Jack but couldn't find him. Finally, an inquiry was launched, and the Coast Guard officer began to question him about what happened. Can you describe your instructor, the investigator asked. Well, wearing a black mask, one of them responded. Can you be more specific? Scuba masks tend to be black most of the time, the investigating officer said. They thought for a while, and the second student said, well, he he wore a black wetsuit. The investigating officer said, "Uh, on, on the dive boat, the black wetsuit is the most common one. Can you be a little more specific? Did Jack have blonde hair? Was he green eyes? You guys have to tell me something unique about him that does not apply to everyday Joe on a dive boat. Now, both students thought very long and hard. One of them said, well, Jack was gifted. He had a unique feature that no one else in the world had. He was a man who had two assholes. The instructing officer was extremely intrigued. Two assholes? Are you guys serious? Both of them nodded. The investigating officer asked, well, how did you guys get to know something so personal? It was one of those things in the diving community that everybody knew, one of the students replied. Everyone in the diving circles knew Jack was gifted with two assholes instead of one. But how did you know? Investigating officer asked. The student asked, Well, wherever he took the two of us to meet other divers, people would always say, Here comes Jack and those two assholes.
1: I still like that one. Okay, maybe a little risk it.
0: Yeah, that one's... uh, But I I think everybody kind of gets the point. So until next time, go out there and get wet.
1: And stay safe.